0: Morning. Christmas comes each year. There's many things that remind us that Jesus is the reason for the season. Right? Have you seen the billboards? Jesus is the reason for the season. But we don't see all too many of those things anymore, do we? Each year, less and less, do we see anything that reminds us why it's Christmas time. We go around from store to store. They're all decorated for Christmas, right? But are they decorated for Christmas? What are they decorated for? Decorated for the holidays now, right? What do the decorations look like? Decorations are Christmas trees, Santa Claus, snowflakes, A star, maybe. What's missing? What's missing is what used to be common, which was the nativity scene. Right? I don't see that too much anymore, especially not in public places. We go leave school for the semester. We don't have Christmas break, do we? We have winter break. We leave work Last day before Christmas and we say Happy Holidays, right? Everywhere we go, everything's changed. No more Christmas. Holidays. I was down in Nashville, Tennessee earlier this week and there was a restaurant. I had to laugh. The sign in front of the restaurant said, We're not afraid to say it. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. I mean, that tells you something, doesn't it? That stores are supposed to be afraid to say Merry Christmas? What bravery. They said Merry Christmas on their sign. But there's one place where it's the slowest to have the politically correct treatment that we see everywhere, and that's songs. Songs are always the last to change in any change that happens, I think. I was in Starbucks earlier last week and I heard a song and I, my jaw dropped because the song was Joy to the World. And they actually had the words and they hadn't changed them or anything. Think about the words. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room and heaven and nature sing. It's quite offensive if you think about it. I wouldn't have been nearly as surprised to hear silent night. You know, silent night, holy night. All is calm, all is bright. Everybody likes silent night. It ends with the words, peace, peace. It's true that Christmas has everything to do with peace. Sleep in heavenly peace. That's why we rally behind that. The message of Christmas is peace on earth. And the message of Christmas is peace on earth. We read about it earlier in the service. But the reality is, peace on earth and joy to the world are nothing without each other. They come together and then we understand the meaning of Christmas. In the Old Testament, over and over again, the coming of a Messiah is prophesied and His coming is often associated with peace. Today we know that this Messiah that was promised is Jesus. One of the names we know Him by is Prince of Peace. It comes from Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on His shoulders, and His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of His government. Or of peace. But then it continues. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Something remarkably unpeaceful about that, isn't there? We see the promise of peace many other places. If you're familiar with the New Testament story of Jesus, you'll recognize the donkey in this passage as a dead giveaway that Jesus is being spoken of here in the Old Testament book of Zechariah. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation. Humble, mounted on a donkey. Even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem and the bow of war will be cut off and he will speak peace to the nations and his dominion will be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Again, it's kind of strange. You got peace in the middle and on either side you've got the bow of war will be cut off. His dominion will be from sea to sea. He will speak peace. Isaiah 53 is one of the most famous prophecies about Jesus. It says He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him and with His stripes we are healed. There you've got it right next to each other. Violence and peace. By His stripes refers to His beatings. The wounds that He suffered. And what do we receive from it? Peace. All through the Old Testament, over and over again, a Messiah will come and He will bring peace. And then when Jesus is born, an angel is proclaiming the good news to the shepherds and suddenly the angel is accompanied by, what does it say? A multitude of heavenly hosts. A multitude of heavenly hosts. Technically, the definition of multitude is a lot. And heavenly hosts are angels. A lot of angels. And they say, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Goodwill toward men. That was the night that we celebrate at Christmas. When Jesus is born, that's what we're celebrating at Christmas time. The angels declared he was the Savior, and Christmas is the celebration of his birth. So the references to the Messiah bringing peace don't stop in the Old Testament, they start right up again in the New Testament. Later in his life Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's telling them he's going to have to leave them and he says peace I leave with you my peace I give to you not as the world gives do I give to you do not let your heart be troubled nor let it be fearful that's in John 14 Again we have this little statement that should jump out at us not as the world gives something about this peace is different It's different from what we expected Isn't it? Always coming with this violence. It doesn't make any sense. Later on, in the letter to the Ephesians, the writer proclaims that Jesus makes peace between the Jewish and the Gentile believers. People who don't have peace. It says, For He Himself is our peace. Who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall? And later, and he came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So throughout the entire Bible, we have this promise of a Savior sent by God to bring peace to his people. But there's the problem the problem of the violent imagery surrounding all of these promises of peace and other verses look at Luke 12:51 Jesus is speaking and what does he say about his coming he says do you suppose that i came to grant peace on earth i tell you no but rather division what's with that Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do you suppose that I came to grant peace on earth? I tell you no, but rather division. And in Matthew it says a sword. I came to bring a sword. It would be hard to come up with two concepts that are more at odds with each other, wouldn't it? Peace and division. Or peace and a sword. So we just say, well, we've got all these passages where peace is promised, and we don't know what Jesus was talking about, but we know that he's the Prince of Peace. But do you know what Prince means? Have we ever thought about what the word Prince means? The other ways it's translated throughout the Bible is commander, captain, chieftain, all military terms the chieftain of peace. That's what Prince of Peace means. It doesn't make any more sense than peace and division. I think that's because we don't know what peace means, actually. Not because we don't know what Prince means. We just ignore what Prince means. But we don't know what peace means. I'm going to read something that Ben Stein wrote a couple of years ago during the Christmas season. Do you know who Ben Stein is? His bio says, Ben Stein is a writer, actor, economist, and lawyer in Beverly Hills and Malibu. But if you're my age, you probably remember him best for Bueller. Bueller. If you're older than me, maybe you remember him as an advisor in the White House for two different presidents. Anyway, here's what he wrote. Today, this is a serious piece. This isn't a comedy piece. Just Today, I will let other people talk about politics and economics. I am going to talk about something more important. Peace. So this is, this is what Ben Stein thinks peace is, okay? As I was asked over and over again what really makes me happy, I only had to think for about two seconds. Yes, of course, I'm primarily grateful that I am in America, shining city on a hill, that I have a great wife and son, that I get to live in peace and prosperity. But there is someone very close to my heart who brings me the best moments of peace I ever have. And peace is truly God's greatest gift. Brigid, my gorgeous German short-haired pointer. A word about Brigid. She was an abandoned dog. I got her at the Huntington Beach Animal Shelter. He goes through all his accomplishments, working for presidents, the Wonder Years, Emmys. He says, I've been married to a glorious wife for almost 40 years. We have a handsome, rugged son. This is all good stuff, even great stuff, but none of this gives me the serenity that being next to a sweet, loving, big, furry dog gives. It's Christmas. Time for gifts you can get the best gift there is, the gift of peace, for free at your local animal shelter. Does Ben Stein know what peace is? Ben Stein has no idea what peace is. Let's be generous and say that he's, just, he's using the right word. He's just confused. Is that the sort of peace we've been reading about in the Bible? No, it's not the kind of peace we've been reading about in the Bible, but it's exactly the kind of peace that we think about when we think of Christmas peace. Right? The peace of a warm fire and twinkling lights on the tree, red and gold wrapping paper on big boxes. How many of you can look back on peaceful memories of Christmas in the past? And it's all glowing, right? That's what we think of when we think of peace. How many of you can also look back on those same Christmases and remember fights? Unbearable tension? Blood pressure rising? Your mom doesn't think she has enough food and the stress level rises, right? Pretty soon, you realize that you didn't get somebody a gift. All the Christmas presents are open, and they sat there for two hours and didn't open anything. And it was your fault. (laughs) And the tension rises. And then your stepsister shows up with her two little brats and a new boyfriend. Is that what Christmas is like? That's what Christmas is like, isn't it, for a lot of people? For too many people. For everybody. We don't really have peace. Even the kind of peace we think we have, we don't have. We think it's all nice and soft and glowing. And then we think back on it and we're like, yeah, actually, it wasn't all that peaceful now that I think about it. The promise of peace that we have in the Bible isn't the promise that everybody in our families will get along or that we'll have a soft fire in the fireplace. Look at Matthew ten thirty-five to 40 This is right after Jesus says that He came to bring a sword and then He describes it. This is what He says. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother And a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And you're all thinking, we didn't need his help, (laughs) right? We didn't need his help to fight with our in-laws. A man's enemies will be the members of his household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. But what if they don't receive you? If they don't receive you, what are you left with? Certainly not peace. Jesus is correcting his disciples' misconceptions about the peace that has been promised. What does he mean by saying this? He thinks they're going to have peace when they share the good news of the gospel with the world. But what's the reality? The reality is they don't they don't have peace when they receive when they when they share the gospel. They aren't received by all, are they? It causes a division within families even. For those who have received the good news and those who refuse to receive that good news. It enters even into our families. He says Daughter against mother, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. If we don't have peace, if the promise isn't for peace in our families, what is the promise of peace for? What does the Bible actually say about this peace? Jesus' peace is not the peace of hugging your new dog, right? It's not the peace of watching Christmas movies together. There are three things that are true about the peace we have in Jesus. First, the peace that Jesus brings is a peace between God and man. A peace between enemies. We read about in Colossians chapter 1:19 and 20, for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. And him is Jesus. Jesus is being spoken of here. And through him to reconcile all things to himself having made peace through the blood of His cross. This is the peace that God has promised us through Christ. We are sinners before God. Without the work that Jesus did on the cross, we have no peace. We are under the condemnation of God. In Isaiah we read, the promise of God to those who are far and to those who are near is peace. And that promise is followed by a warning. It says, There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. There is no question that Christ accomplished amazing peace for us. He conquered death, hell, sin, and Satan. He brought peace using a sword. He waged war against evil and he won. And the result of the war is the same then as it is now. A great divide has been cut between those who repent and believe on this Savior and those who do not. The sword sliced down the middle. And some repent and accept peace. And some do not repent. And war is being waged. Jesus demands to be first and foremost in our lives, ahead of our closest relationships, ahead of our mom, ahead of our sister, ahead of our children. That's what he's referring to when he speaks of families being divided. Second, the peace that described is peace between those who are united in Christ. Christ. This is the peace that we read about in Ephesians where it said that we are united in one body. It's the peace that was being spoken of when it said that peace was made between the Jew and the Gentile. They became one in one body. And that body is Christ. It's speaking only of Christians, of believers. We have an amazing peace with one another because we are one in Him. It's described in Galatians, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. But this peace also is accomplished by the sword. Speaking to believers, Paul gives us this promise. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. That's where the unity that we have as believers comes from. The fact that we are united in Christ and that he has accomplished the violent work of crushing Satan and death. Because we are in his blood, we are united with him. The God of peace is a God who crushes his enemies. His peace comes with a sword. Our enemy, Satan, is to be crushed beneath us. Finally, the peace that is described is a peace between us and all men. We're commanded in Romans, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Think immediately of the command that we're to love our enemies. But how can we accomplish that task without the power of Christ making us able? We can't. We can't love our enemies without that power that Jesus gives us. Yet even when we love our enemies, you notice that little phrase, if possible, so far as it depends on you, what does that imply? It implies that sometimes it's not possible and that it doesn't depend on you to live at peace with other people right how can that be well when does it when does it depend on you what causes division that is what causes division that is not fit the division that is not being spoken of when christ says that he came to bring division sin causes that division that is not being spoken of. The sin of yelling at your mom when she's trying to work on Christmas dinner. Losing patience because you wanted to use the bathroom and there's about a billion people in the house and the hot water's all gone. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Love your enemies. When isn't it possible? Well, let's think about Christmas time. Stay on this theme, right? When isn't it possible to remain at peace with all men? This, more than any other time, is when we want to be at peace with all men. Especially our families, right? And nobody's fooled by the tight lipped smiles as we say goodbye. See you next year! Sometimes peace doesn't depend on us. Many of us come from families that are unbelieving. Are you willing to take up the cross and follow Jesus in suffering for the Gospel? Are we willing to proclaim the good news to our family yet again knowing what the result is going to be? What's the result going to be? The result is going to be division. All too often we're willing to to sacrifice our family members who don't know the peace, don't know true peace, under the feet of Christ. 1 Corinthians 15.25 says, For He must reign until He has put all His enemies under His feet. We don't want to be a source of division and contention in our families. And so we let them be crushed under His feet. Think of these words of Jesus. These things I have spoken to you so that in Me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. We know intuitively what the result of sharing the Gospel is going to be in our families. Our fear is that the Gospel will be rejected. Right? But is that really our fear? Yeah, we do fear that. But what else do we fear? I think more often we fear that we will be rejected. And we will be rejected. We will be a source of division if we share the Gospel with our families. Jesus reminds us tenderly. He says, You're not better than me. And they rejected me, so they're going to reject you too. Imagine the response if you lovingly, and I mean lovingly, if you lovingly said something like this to your family at Christmas, I am so thankful to God for all of you. I love every one of you so much. Praise the Lord. Some of you have given your life to Jesus and repented of your sins. But others of you haven't. That makes me so sad. I'm praying for you that you will turn away from evil, put your trust in Jesus, and make peace with God. How's that going to go over? How about those of us who came from Christian families? We could say the same thing, probably, every one of us when we get together with our family. Some of you have not put your trust in Jesus. I'm praying for you that you will turn from evil. Put your trust in Jesus and make peace with God. What's the result likely to be in either scenario? Everybody's going to be so happy that that you're praying for them, right? Or are they going to be mad that you caused division? Are they going to be mad that you brought a sword with your peace? They might point out your sins. Who are you to talk? You are just yelling at everybody. Everybody. When people tell you that, ask you that question, who are you to talk? Here's what you need to remember you're a sinner, saved by grace, proclaiming salvation. As we live together with Christians, we learn what it means for iron to sharpen iron. When iron sharp sharpens iron, what's it like? Have you seen it in movies? What results? Sparks. Why? Because there's conflict. There's conflict when peace comes. Peace comes through conflict. There's no question it's conflict if you share the Gospel with your family at Christmas time. There's no question there's conflict if you spend time with your family and discover that one of your family members has completely given up hope in that stepsister and in her two kids and has absolutely no desire to continue sharing the faith, sharing the gospel with them. And when you share the gospel with that stepsister living with her boyfriend who has no hope and no peace, who's going to get angry? The person that's going to get angry, probably the most angry, are the other Christians in your family who are reminded of their sin in giving up in not proclaiming the Gospel to that family member. But how does peace come? Peace comes by way of a sword. In every area of our life where God has given us peace, we see that His sword is actively cutting. Think first of yourself. Your relationship with God, if God has given you peace, what has He done? He's cut out your heart of stone and given you a heart of flesh. And what's the result? The result is peace with God. What about peace in this body? Do all of you get along with each other? No, you don't. Have some of you made peace with somebody recently? What was the process like? It hurt, didn't it? Cut. Iron against iron. Sin was cut from your life. Sin was cut from their life. You became united again. United in Christ. In peace. Because of that division. Because of the sword cutting. By the process of having our sins confronted, the purification continues. And we grow in peace. And in the future, we know that Jesus is going to return and reign. And there will be complete peace. I'm going to read from Psalm 72. May He come down like rain upon the mown grass, like showers that water the earth, In His days may the righteous flourish and abundance of peace till the moon is no more. May He also rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Let the nomads of the desert bow before Him and His enemies lick the dust. That's what it's going to be like when Jesus comes and brings ultimate peace. If you're still his enemy, make peace with God before he comes again and it's too late. If your family members are not at peace with God, share the good news of the peace that Jesus has offered. With them before it is too late. And the result is going to be that there will be division. Mother and daughter, father and son. But it's a small price to pay for the salvation of their souls. Let's pray. Father, we come before you only through the blood of your precious Son, Jesus Christ. We know that there is absolutely no way for us to approach you as sinners.